Thanks for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Hello everyone, it's good to have you with us. Whatever time it is, whatever time you're watching, good morning to you, good afternoon, good evening. Um, It's good to have you with us. If you're listening to me on your headphones, as I sometimes do, the preachers in bed, maybe good night's more appropriate. But it's good to have you with us and it's uh, good to be looking at God's word together this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to read that to you now, but if you want to try and find that on your phone, on your Bible, wherever you've got that, turn to that and let's read it together. But just before I start, I just want to say that I'm definitely not used to talking into a camera or looking down the lens, and I'm definitely not used to looking at a camera with a certain man peeping over the top of it as well as I'm speaking. So if I start looking to the left or the right, uh, it's not my intention to do so. I want to be looking at you and I'm trying to imagine you all there listening as well. So let's read this psalm together, Psalm chapter 1, and let's go for it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that it does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father God, we just want to come towards you, come to you now, Lord, as we look at your word. Father, speak to us, um, show us more about who you are, reveal yourself to us, we pray. And Lord, would we go from this place, this room that we're in now, Lord, uh, encouraged by your word, Lord, and um, feeling, Lord, that we've, we've met you this morning. Amen. Well, I had a choice on which psalm to read to you this morning. Um, I knew that it was perhaps going to be the last in our series on psalms, and I thought it'd be appropriate to take us back to the beginning. Not always a good move, um, but I think it's sometimes helpful to reflect on the beginning to fully appreciate the significance of the end and uh, look at the journey that we've travelled on and how we've got there. And we do that sometimes by going back to the beginning. Um, I hope you still agree that it's the right decision at the end and uh, we'll see where we get to. I've realised since looking at Psalm 1 that it, it leaves no middle ground. Um, it's titled in my Bible, The Way of the Righteous and the Wicked. It's not particularly politically correct. The world likes to have some wriggle room. The world likes to know um, what the choices are. That might be your choice, but I want to follow my own way. But the Bible's not a book for those who are seeking to to follow their own choice and their own destiny. Indeed, what we read here in Psalm 1 points towards, if you like, a a profound divide between the destiny of mankind. You're either righteous before God or you're wicked. And it's a frightening situation for those who don't know where they are. Psalm 1 also provides some really profound encouragement to us, and and that's really why I've chosen it today. Most commentators would describe it as a wisdom psalm. 
It's intriguing that the author of this psalm isn't actually mentioned, unlike many of the other psalms in the book. But that's significant. I think this is God speaking to us. This is God bringing wisdom and authority and clarity to the whole of the book of Psalms. When we start the book of Psalms, we read through this lens in chapter one. And I think chapter two goes well with it as well. The book is also described, as we know already, as as like the literary, literary sanctuary of the Bible. It's a Bible. It's a book that links together emotions, God's word, life, his people. It brings it all together and joins it up in a way that no other book in the Bible does. But we also shouldn't be surprised that we see the gospel in the Psalms as well. And we're going to see the gospel here in Psalm chapter one. Jesus said in Luke that um, the Psalms talk about me. So let's not be surprised when I get to my conclusion here that we see Jesus and we see the gospel and we see the new covenant in what we're reading. Well, isn't it a surprise that God starts the first psalm with blessed? Out of all the possible ways to introduce the psalms, out of all the instructions and the teachings that we see in psalms, he starts with blessed. Our Heavenly Father chooses to bless us from the outset, and at the very start, it's his intention to show us and to teach us the way of blessedness. And isn't that our God? We could have started the Psalms with an instruction, a way to read it. Um, But no, God wants us to look to who he is, to who this man, this woman is in Christ and their blessedness. The New Living Translation I've got at home as well also translates it, oh, the joys. And the Hebrew, I understand, could be translated happy. In other words, this is someone who is changed by God, whose character is different because of who they have chosen to believe. Happy is this man or woman. Blessed is this man or woman. Oh, the joys of this man and woman. They're enjoying something that no one else can experience. So we begin this journey into the literary sanctuary, reassured that our choice to turn away from sin is met emphatically with blessing, blessing from God. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of our salvation. Let's not make any mistake here. Our blessing isn't deserved. We don't come into this world deserving of God's blessing. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. Our blessing is not deserved. And we can go right back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, and we see that fallen man has been cursed by God. We find ourselves wicked from the outset without God. And that's our position as we come uh, into the world, and that's our position without God. And again, it's not a politically correct turn of phrase you walk down the street and call people wicked and it's not a choice Uh, it's not a an option that they want to choose and yet that's the division here in psalm one at the start righteous with god perishing without him 
well, you want us to focus more on the, the good things. Let's do that. Um, have you considered how blessed you are? I've tried to pick out some, some verses from the Psalms here. You're blessed by God. It says in Psalm 5:12, for you cover the righteousness. O Lord, you cover him with favour as with a shield. You're blessed in Christ. You're blessed with all blessings. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those that take refuge in you. You're blessed in all circumstances. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And you're blessed through all time and and eternity. The Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Your steadfast love endures forever. This, this Hebrew word for blessed isn't necessarily emphasising the blessings that we experience, the individual blessings, but just the state of blessedness, the state of happiness, the joy of being in Christ. And it's from that position of being in Christ that we experience the blessings of individual circumstances outside and into the world that we live. So we move on through the psalm and it gives us five characteristics of this blessed man, this happy man and woman, three negatives, two positives and a picture. And the psalm starts with the negative, so we're going to do the same as well. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. This, this phrase to walk is something we're very familiar with. It's a metaphor. We use it ourselves all the time. We might often talk or say about someone that they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. It's an interesting turn of phrase to describe lots of situations that go on around us at the moment. But it's also a familiar um, phrase in the Bible as well. We read in Genesis that Enoch walked with God. And then uh, God took him and Moses walked with God. In other words, uh, their lifestyle reflected who God was and the difference that God had made in their life. And Paul uses the same phrase as well in Ephesians, uh, particularly the practical part in chapter four, where he says, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the callings to which you have called. In other words, You've been made new. You've been changed. You now don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. You walk differently in a manner that should be worthy of God's calling on you. And he goes on to say that um, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You're no longer influenced by your wicked nature, but you're influenced by the grace and the mercies and the Holy Spirit that works in you. For you used to walk in the counsel of the wicked, but that's not who you are anymore. Again, it's not, it's not a politically correct phrase. People don't want to be limited by their options. I might choose a different influence in my life. I want to follow this other uh, person, this other method of being blessed, of being encouraged. But no, the gospel, the Bible points us only to one source of blessing and that's Jesus so he goes on we we see the three negatives here nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers 
And we could, uh, I understand there's a few ways of interpreting this. Uh, we're reading Psalms, which is uh, really poetry. We could see this as what they call poetic parallelism, which is just repeating the same thing three times. Or most people would read these three statements as a gradual downward cycle of kind of deviations. So the psalm gives us five characteristics of this blessed or, or happy man or woman. Three negatives, two positives and a picture. So let's start with the, with the negatives because that's what this, this scripture does. We're familiar with this phrase to walk in. Uh, it's a metaphor. Um, it's used throughout the Bible as well in lots of places. We're familiar with perhaps saying of, of people that we know that they talk the talk, uh, but they don't walk the walk. In other words, their lifestyle doesn't match up with what they're saying. In uh, Genesis, we read that Enoch walked with God and then God took him and Moses, he walked with God. Um, it means the same thing that, you know, their, their lifestyle followed uh, another pattern. But Paul uses it as well in, in Ephesians and he says that, um, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, you've been made new. What you've been called to is different to what you were. And now you should no longer walk as how you were, but you should walk with how you now are in Christ. And he goes on and says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You used to walk in the council with the wicked, but that's not who you are anymore. Again, it's not a very politically correct turn of phrase because people want choice. They want to say, no, 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 I'm not going to follow your way. I'm not going to follow that one way. I'm going to follow all these ways. I'm going to take the best of what feels good, what feels great to me, what encourages me the most, and I'll do it that way. But no, no, no. The Bible is very clear that there's only one way to be like this blessed man or woman. There's only one way to know the deep joy that God can give. There's only one way to be happy in the way that the Bible describes it, and that's through Christ. So these three negatives, we can interpret these in different ways. Uh, most of the commentators talk about poetic parallelism, which means these three negatives are saying the same thing three times. It's a po poetic way of writing. Um, but many also, and, and many will interpret it this way as well, to say that it, it kind of describes uh, an increasing and a downward spiral of kind of divergence from the ways of God, a gradual drift, Fillmore describes it, a progressive downward cycle. First, we begin to walk. Then we begin to stand, and eventually we're sitting and taking our place amongst those who would effectively stand against the righteous would stand against God. One writer describes it this way, which I think is, is helpful from a practical perspective to say that we need to be aware of the opinion of sinful man. We need to be aware of the practical life of sinful man. And finally, we need to be aware of being associated with sinful man. And you might think that and think, well, Tom, <laughs> we live in the real world here. We've, we've got to be with sinful people. We've got to be in that world around us. And that's right. That's good. Jesus did that. But he also took his source, his, his, his motivation wasn't 
taken from the world. His motivation wasn't taken from the latest YouTube video or the latest podcast or the emphatic watching of a particular source of news or something like that. His, his inspiration, his motivation was taken from God and his word. And that's what this psalm is pointing us towards here. It's, it's not an easy thing, this walk. I was thinking about this last night and just praying over it and thinking, you know, this walk is not straightforward and it's even harder when you try and do it alone. And I was thinking, why do we struggle with this? You know, would, wouldn't it be better if the psalmist just got to the point and just outlined the list of do's and don'ts? You want to be blessed? Do this. Don't do that. Do this. But this writer's not looking to highlight a list of do's and don'ts, but rather he's looking for us to focus on comparing what we're not so that we might lean more heavily into who he is. You see, what shapes my mind shapes my life. Isn't that true? And it feels rather New Testament reading this, and that's because it is. It is New Testament. We see Jesus in the Psalms and it points to a, a new, a better covenant that's coming. And we can take reassurance in that. I mean, Paul says in Romans that sin no longer is your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. We read here what we're not, what the blessed man is not, so that we might learn more about who he is and what he's done in our lives and how he's changed us. Paul, Paul emphasises it again, sticking with Romans. You know, he talks about not letting your minds be stretched and moulded by the world, but instead allowing them to be transformed and renewed through testing and discerning the will of God. What shapes our mind will shape our lives, and we need to allow Christ to to take control of our minds, we need to meditate and look upon his word. And that takes us on to verse 2. This blessed person, their delight is in the Lord, in the law of the Lord. This word law in the Hebrew isn't talking about uh, individual laws, uh, the, the, the laws that we see in the old covenant, but it's talking about the entirety of God's law. The entirety of the blessings that we see, not just in the Old Testament, but the blessings that we see in the New Testament and the New Covenant. It means more than just loving the law. It means that we love to be in the law. There's a big difference here. You see, many Christians will go around trying to love the law, trying to learn the law, trying to put into practice. And isn't that the pattern of our culture these days? Isn't the pattern... Well, it is certainly in the world I, I live in, where we look to the, the best teacher, we look to the best influence, and we try and copy that way of doing it. It's, it's an interesting thing. A lot of the people I work with, we, we, we copy what people have done before us. We look to whoever can give us the best advice, whatever feels most expedient in that situation, whatever feels most right, we, we copy. But no. God's put the law, his law, in our heart. And he wants us to live life out of the influence of his law, his spirit, his gospel that he's put into our hearts. And that's the story 
of the whole of Psalms. That's the influence through the whole of Psalms. Martin Luther, good man, he talked about the law and he said it victoriously bursts its way through poverty, evil report, the cross, death and hell, and in the midst of adversities shines the brightest. Wow. Isn't that surely the theme of the whole of the book of the Psalms? And, and hence why we're right to come back to it at the beginning. You see, the Psalms joins together three things. God, man and life. And you take God out of the equation. You take God out of the picture. And what, what, are, we, what are you left with? Our delight is in the Lord. And that's the teaching of the Psalms. You, you want to navigate loneliness in Psalm 25, 16. You want to navigate sorrow, Psalm 31, 10. Shame, 44, 15. Delight in chapter 1, 2. Joy, 4, 7. Love, hope, pain, zeal, confidence, anger, brokenness. What does the Psalms teach? You need God. I don't know if you remember a film. I hope people do in the room. A Few Good Men. Do you remember it? Yeah. Tom Cruise. Wonderful film. I remember it. it was an old film. I can't remember what the whole plot was, but at the end of the film, there's this courtroom drama. and um, It's about the, the American army. There's this general who's cr- uh, uh, committed some crime. And there's Tom Cruise, who's the... Um, prosecution barrister who works in the army and the the courtroom is getting heated and the drama is building and uh, this general turns to Tom Cruise who's the prosecuting barrister and says you want to know the truth and Tom Cruise replies to him and says I want to know the truth and this general replies to him and says you can't handle the truth (laughs) it's a great turn of phrase at the end and it's as if you know as I'm reading the Psalms I feel God saying to us you want the truth the truth is you need me in all those scenarios in all the emotions of life in all the goods and the bads and the pains and the hurts and the sickness and the sorrow the joy the work situation the places of testing Life and man needs to be woven together with God and delight in him. So I, I, I agree with Alistair Begg when he says we delight in the things we desire and the things we desire most fill us with a sense of contentment and satisfaction. You may say, well, I can, I can agree with the, uh, the first few comments, Tom. I can agree with the negatives. I don't walk with the sinners. I don't take my counsel from them. No. I don't sit with the scoffers either. I'm clear on that. But let me ask you a question. Do you delight in the law of the Lord? Do you study God's word? Do you meditate on God's word? I understand that this word that's translated meditate is the same word in chapter 2 that's being translated plot. On his law, he meditates day and night. And in verse chapter 2, verse 1, 
and the people's plot in vain. In other words, there's, a, there's an intention, a, a preparation, a, a deep consideration of God's law. It's not a careless thing or left to chance. This is no worthless or trivial thing. It's the very thing that your life depends on. The very thing that puts you in the camp of the righteousness and takes you out of the camp of the wicked. Let's go on then to the picture. He's like a tree. My mind wanders to Isaiah chapter 61 where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We know this because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. And he goes on. And then it says that the Lord will give them oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. This is a, a simile, this, this picture. In other words, it's a, it's a picture and from it we can take this scenario, this picture and apply it uh, into our lives here. You see, this tree is sat by the living water. Its nourishment is close by. It's not out there. It's there. It's like a tree planted by streams of water, not away from streams of water. And it yields its fruit in season. It's easy. I think there's a few people that would take this verse in Psalms here and, and look at it from a, a, a prospering perspective because it goes on uh, to say that all he does will prosper. And uh, I don't want us to take this from a human perspective. Um, the wealth, health and happiness people would, would look at this and, and pick up on the, the sense that we prosper from a worldly perspective and use that as our target, if you like. No. But I'm going to ask you the question anyway, because the statement's a simple one. Do you feel like you're prospering? What does it mean to prosper as a tree? <laughs> this is the picture here, and the phrase sits alongside it. How does a tree prosper? Well, it prospers by bearing fruit. That's how I see a healthy tree. We've just been given a tree uh, to put in our garden, and we've planted it recently. Um, we're having to treat it straight away. The leaves started curling up and we've got these little bugs that are underneath the leaf and, and doesn't look good. Is this tree prospering? Well, it will prosper. We're sure of that and we're going to make sure it prospers, but we're going to take care of it and we're going to research what we need to do to make that tree better. So it is with our God. He doesn't leave us as we are. He doesn't plant us and then walk away. No, no, this tree is sat by the living water. You know, whatever your situation, Father God, I believe this, Father God is using it for good. He's, he's using your circumstances, he's using your life and he's going to turn it to good. Do you remember Joseph and his brothers who, who plotted against him and put him into captivity. You know, at the, end of it, at the end of that story, his brothers were brought to Joseph 
and uh, his father died and his his brothers were worried that now Joseph was going to seek his revenge and he was going to do something horrible to them. Now, when he brought them together, he said, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many should be kept alive. You see, your life is going to be meant for good when you're in Christ. Christ, when he's the influence of your life, you can be sure that whatever your situation, he's going to turn it around for good. I believe that. And that's what the Bible teaches as well. God, you know, you might be saying, Tom, you don't know my situation. (laughs) Tom, you don't know how difficult it is for me. You don't know my health condition. You don't know my family condition. You don't know... Uh, the things I suffered when I was younger, and you don't know that they are having a bad influence on my life. You don't know my financial situation, and I don't. (laughs) And I'm not going to stand here and and give you instruction in all those different things, but I will point you towards God's word. And what's clear is the Bible is teaching us to be more like Jesus. So the question is, what is Jesus? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is a good place to start. And I've found that, you know, when Jesus wants to teach us love, he puts us in to places where the people aren't particularly loving. When he wants to teach us joy, he puts us in situations which are painful and difficult. When he wants to teach us peace, he puts chaos around us and we we learn to navigate that in life. You know, when my, my children were younger, I, you know, I, I can't imagine ever giving them like a list of do's. You know, if, I, if they were two years old, if I just rolled out the list and said, here's the do's and don'ts, and this is what you need to follow. Can you imagine just reading out this bit of paper when they're two, two, two years old and, and, and just say, here it is, this is what you need to do, do it, don't do it, we'll be right. No. When my kids were younger, we were teaching them through their experiences. When they walked, they didn't just walk because I told them, here child, walk. No, no, before they walked, they fell over many, many times. They hit their heads, they bounced off walls, there was crying and there were tears. When we were teaching them to feed, we didn't just give them an adult knife and fork and say, here's the plate of meat and veg done chopped and say, here child, sort it out for yourself. No, no, we cut it up. There were bibs. There was food all over the place. There was food on the wall. God does the same. He puts us into situations, not just to tell us what we should and we shouldn't do, but that we might learn. We might be stretched. We might be tested. We saw that in Romans 12, you know, being conformed, allowing your mind to be renewed. What did Paul say? Test. Be tested. Test the word of the Lord. Ponder it. Question. Doubt your doubts if you want to, but allow the balance of God's word to come back and frame your thinking, to create the parameters of your thinking. Allow God's word to soak into the roots. That's what makes this tree different. It's planted by God's waters, God's word. And then we we come back to the wicked, not so 
the wicked, it says. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. This, this is a picture here of a, a winnowing fork, um, which you use when you're sorting out the grain. You put the fork in and you shake it. The grain falls to the threshing floor and is used, but the chaff, it just blows away. That's the picture here of the wicked. Well, what do we do with all of this then? How do we, we finish this? I want to do that by asking a question and then giving us what I think the answer is. And then I want to um, address that question to our, those that are, are in Christ. That's where I get my, my answer from. And then I want to address those who, who perhaps don't know that they're in Christ. The question that stands out to me as I, I read this is, who is this person in verse 1, 2 and 3? You know, I, I've made clear that it, it's talking about this blessed man, this blessed woman, this happy man, this happy woman. But who fits that description? I can think of many people that I've known in my life who I would say, yeah, yeah, they're, they're closer to that than I am. They're better at that than I am, and that's good. They've allowed God to soak into the ways of their life. And, but who ultimately fulfills this, this description in its entirety? And you know, I started at the beginning by saying that the Psalms point towards Jesus, and I want to point towards Jesus right now, because the answer to that question is that there's only one man who does fit that description, and his name is Jesus. You see, the, the challenge as we read these verses is not to become what we're not. I said this earlier, but to become increasingly who Jesus is. And we don't learn that through just following the lists of do's and the don'ts. No, no, no. We come and we learn that by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So we come at this verse with thankfulness that his power is at work in me, that he is changing me, that he wants me, and that he is supplying my every need. We come to Psalms knowing that in all these circumstances, they all point back towards our creator. This divine search which God has instigated which is looking for those that would want to choose to hide from him. God has instigated a plan to save man and woman. So I come to this with thankfulness and I come to this with a perspective that is just full of wonder at his grace and his love for me. The great divide, and I've got this from someone else, the great divide represented in humanity is the division of Psalm 1. Prospering by grace or perishing without it. The righteous will prosper. It's a frightening thought. But we can't take the promises of God and ignore the warnings at the same time. We take both. But we're encouraged. We're encouraged that when we choose Christ, we're blessed. So what is there then finally for those who don't know Christ, is that it? Is that all there is? No. 
It says in Isaiah 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. Not that he might punish him. Not that he might beat him into oblivion because of his sin. No. That he might have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is our God. This is the one who is blessed when he knows that God, when he delights in that God, when he enjoys life living out of fellowship with this God. Father, we just thank you that your word doesn't return to you empty. In fact, entirely the opposite. Father, we thank you that you're giving us what we don't deserve, mercy, and you're giving us undeserved, undeserved favour, grace. Father, we thank you that you, you've chosen us, that there is, a, there is salvation made clear. You've set eternity in the heart of man and we can look to you, to a God that pardons and gives us this blessing. Father, as we come to the end of this series in Psalms, we don't forget how it ended in praise, in worship, in adoration of who you are. Lord, that's how our hearts feel, Lord, when we see the good works that you've done in our lives, when we see the encouragement that you give us, the joy that you give us. Father, we thank you for that. Amen.